The following message was preached at Redeemer Community Church. For more information about Redeemer, visit us online at www.redeemernc.org. Good morning, all. I hope it was a good day yesterday, perhaps even restful. See happy faces on children. That's always a good sign. I don't see the ladies looking too harried or exasperated. That's a good sign. Thank you for being here if you're a guest. You're welcome here. We're so glad. We hope you have a a good day with us. Love to know more about you too, by the way. If I can um, throw something back to the people with gray hair. This you might recognize. Carly Simon was a 70s pop singer, and she wrote a song. She supposedly wrote it in 15 minutes as she was waiting for a date with Cat Stevens. But the name of the song that was really popular back then was Anticipation anticipation. It's making me wait. And then the Heinz ketchup people took that, borrowed it, and probably paid a fortune for it, I guess. And then the commercial would be just that the bottle is turned upside down ketchup. And I guess the best ketchup is so thick, it never actually comes out of the bottle. And so it would just, the camera would just slowly show a drip of ketchup kind of coming out, anticipation. Maybe some of you remember that. Go look it up. Go Google or something like that. Now look, when you look at the Old Testament, it, the one way you could subtitle the entire Old Testament is, could be like the book of anticipation. The way it starts out and the trajectory that is in the Old Testament is anticipating and waiting for a Savior. Now, Mary, the mother of Jesus, is the last woman to appear in Jesus' genealogy, which is what we've been looking at in this past month. But Mary's story really begins with the first woman in Jesus' genealogy, which is the first woman in all of our genealogies. It's Eve. Last week, Adam reminded us that there is grace in the mess. The mess, though, it began, it began a long time ago. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God and were removed from the garden, um, they were told that these are the consequences of their sin, but the grace of God instantly also came to them and said, that there will be someone from your offspring, Eve, who will crush the serpent's head. The one that started this whole mess will be defeated, somebody from your offspring. Well, of course, Eve's thinking is something like this. I, um, I, I hope it's my son. I mean, after all, God keeps his word, so this is what's going to happen. And, and, and indeed, the firstborn son was Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man from the Lord, as if it was an anticipation of that serpent-crushing person that would bring redemption. But in fact, of course, as you know the story and you know your Bible, Cain, the firstborn human being, was the first murderer. And the secondborn to Adam and Eve was the first homicide victim. What a mess, right? And so it's sort of always been that way. There was no deliverer there. And so it's been down the line of human beings in the great genealogy, really, of the human race until we come to our text today, until we come to Christmas. So it was not Cain, it was not Abel, but it also was not Noah, it was not Abraham, or Isaac, or Jacob, it was not Moses or or Joshua, it wasn't David or Solomon, none of those were the anticipated one. It wasn't even John the Baptist. It's hard to find a bad thing to say about John the Baptist, but it wasn't him. Jesus Messiah came once again, in an unexpected way, to an unexpected person that God showed his grace to. 
And so then through that unexpected situation and that unexpected one, God's grace was shown to the entire human race. All through a little, tiny, teenage, nobody from nothing, Nazareth. Now in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that I think the two best examples of discipleship to Christ are John the Baptist and Mary, the mother of Jesus. You're only going to know about the 12, or let's say the 11 disciples being really, really model disciples way after the Gospels. They come around eventually, all of them but one. But think about John the Baptist. This is why he was such a good follower of Christ, such a good disciple of Christ. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That was his job, and he did it. He must increase I must decrease. And you know he was effective because his own disciples immediately left him and went for Jesus. But also Mary, the mother of Jesus. So this morning, I want to anticipate the new year. For me, Christmas is gone. The good news for all of you is that Christmas, the next Christmas is less than a year away. But it's in the past. This last one's in the past, even though it was just yesterday. And I want us to move forward thinking about the new year. So today, a challenge and maybe some conviction. That's my goal today in preaching. Mary and Mary's life, disciples do seven things. They may do 14 or 21 things. I'm sure that they do. But in Mary's life, disciples do seven things. And I mean to have you think about that in this new year. I want to convict you and challenge you. I want you to see how God's grace in Jesus motivates you to follow him and enables you to follow him. That grace is sufficient for that. So seven things disciples do. Number one, disciples understand grace. Here's Luke chapter one. Luke chapter one and verse 26. It's now very familiar this season. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. The angel uses two words almost in a row that have as their origin, the Greek origin for the word grace. So in other words, it can almost be said, said um, grace to you, graced one. Grace, grace, grace. Mary's life starts out this way with grace. Luke one thirty nine. In those days, Mary set out and hurried to a, a town in the hill of the country of Judah where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt inside her and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside of me. The Christian life begins by grace. It, it is God who comes to you first, and he gives you repentance and faith. He gives you eternal life. Mary does not come to God. God comes to her. God chooses her. Mary receives God's grace. She doesn't understand fully the grace that she's receiving, she just receives it. Disciples receive God's grace in Jesus Christ. And slowly but surely they grow in understanding God's grace in Jesus Christ. 
That's why the Apostle Paul was always praying for the churches, that they may grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what about you guys? How did you receive the gift of God? By good deeds? By effort? By sincerity? No, by simply accepting God's grace. You cannot begin to follow Jesus to be his disciple without submitting to the fact that God chooses and saves by grace. His favor without your good works. The first step is to recognize that what God offers as, a, as forgiveness is a gift. You must accept that, that it is a gift that you don't deserve. And then just take it. And is that a one-time event? Is that something Christian, disciple, follower of Jesus? Is that something that you say like, well, I did that back then. I can give you the date. I can, I can recall something about that. No, no, no. You continue to accept God's grace. You continue to grow in understanding grace, which is what Mary did. Here's the second thing about disciples. Disciples have growing faith. Luke one twenty eight again. And the angel came to her and said, greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of a greeting this could be. Mary asked the angel, how can this be, since I have not had sexual relations with a man? Mary asks, how can this be? So what, what a natural and legitimate question for anybody to ask. Imagine the burden of that on somebody who was 13, 14, or 15 years old. I have been pure. I have obeyed the law. I've done the right thing. And you're telling me this. How can this be? That, that's an amazing thing. Have you noticed that the first reaction to God asking you to do something hard or experiencing something hard is to immediately forget that God has always been doing the impossible. He's always been commanding us to believe and act upon what seems too difficult. I just think that's stunning because if I was to ask you, I said, now listen, I want you to teach Sunday school class next week. I want you to go through everything in the Old Testament with these children that talks about God doing the impossible thing and you'd be able to do it. And that makes me happy. And then all of a sudden, God asks you to do something difficult and it's like, now wait a minute now. I don't know about how this is gonna work right here. I don't think I can do that. I think that's how we do. I, I can't trust you, Lord, with my children. I, I can't teach a class. I can't tell them that I'm a Christian. I can't give my money sacrificially. I can't go to the mission field. But Mary's faith is beginning and it's growing and she moves. She doesn't understand how the impossible works, but she moves. That's faith and that's growing faith. She has natural questions, but this doesn't seem to offend God. She has, how can this be? She asked that. You've asked the Lord that before. He wasn't offended when you said that. He understands faith is hard but you've got to move. Now look at, look at Luke 2 though, verse 16. The shepherds hurried off and, and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger and, and seeing them, they reported the message that they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. Mary's faith grows because she does two things. She listens carefully, something women generally do better than men, and she thinks and thinks. She puts together the promises of God with the power of God 
and her faith grows even as she continues things to see things that are, are hard to understand and believe. Do you understand faith? Wait a minute, not done yet. Luke chapter 2, verse 29, a faithful Israelite named Simeon is coming into the temple in Jerusalem. Simeon sees Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus being dedicated, and he rejoices and he prays this. Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. Verse 33, his father and mother were amazed at what was being said about them. After a virgin birth, you might think that nothing could amaze you again, right? That would be... Am I right? A virgin birth, nothing would ever amaze you again. Like this, this whole faith thing, this following Jesus thing is a piece of cake. But it's not. It just isn't. God keeps growing your faith by asking you to do difficult things. And I'm telling you that he's going to do it in 2022. Are you listening and are you thinking and meditating and pondering? That's what I'm asking you to do. Look at what about Jesus at age 12 in the temple. This is Luke 2, 46. And after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all those who heard him were astounded at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Jesus says, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know that it was necessary for me to be in my father's house, but they did not understand what he said to them. Deeply troubled, amazed, astonished, questions, not understanding, thinking and meditating. That's God's incubator for faith. That's God's greenhouse for faith. Just those sorts of things. The faith life of a disciple begins by grace. Mary does not begin her journey by by virtue of her good fortune or goodwill or good disposition. Even her beginning faith is a a gift of God's grace. But God makes sure that faith grows. Oh, I hope you'll see that this year. It's God's grace to help you grow in faith. And just because you're exercising the faith doesn't mean that you're not astonished at what God is doing and saying. Faith is not the opposite of astonishment and questions. It's not even the opposite of doubt. Faith is, I will go with what I have. I will believe God. I'm just going to keep moving. I'm going to keep moving. I'm going to obey him. Faith still has questions. It's got to fight against doubt, but faith listens to God. It sees what God's doing. It thinks and ponders and meditates on truth. What about you? Do you want your faith to grow next year? It's a loaded question, isn't it? God will do it by grace and through the the things that kind of cause astonishment and and questions and doubts. That's how we'll do it. And with you and I meditating on the power and and grace of God. Let me just say this to Redeemer people, my, my members here. Open up your eyes and see what God is doing in people's lives. Some recent people have maybe left us because they didn't think God was doing very much. And they wanted to go find another place where maybe God was doing more. I I beg to differ. 
Open up your eyes to see what God is doing, and it strengthens your faith. Here's number three. Disciples see themselves as servants. See themselves as servants. Luke 1, 34, Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I have not had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month for her who was called childless, for nothing will be impossible with God. Now look at verse 38, Luke 1, 38. Please see this. See, I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it happen to me as you've said. Then the angel left her. Mary decides that the proper response to God's grace in her life is just to declare herself to be a servant. She needs no importance. She needs no attention. She just needs to serve. This is beautiful. She hears the calling of God on her life and says, I will serve. And the reason I know that Mary kept this servant attitude is because the last time you hear about her is in the first chapter of Acts and you never hear from her again. She needs no importance. She drew no importance to herself. She needed no attention. She just said, I'm here to serve. So she's in the background. Jesus told us that a disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It's enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. Matthew 10, 24. He also said, our Lord Jesus, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. A disciple of Jesus is a servant. When you're saved by the King of Kings, that's all you want to be is a servant. It's a high honor to be a servant. Not what's my ambition, but what's the ambition of the King? Do you know the ambition of the Lord Jesus? Do you know what he wants? Not my goals, but what are the goals of the king? Not my comfort, but what's the joy of the king? A servant of Jesus aims to make Jesus the absolute center of attention of everything. Have you ever met someone who has to be the center of attention? Not a disciple of Jesus. How about you? Has God's grace motivated you to seek your own glory? Has God just saved you so that you will be successful or comfortable? Or does God's grace to save you from your sin cause you to say, I only want to be Christ's servant? Disciples look most like Jesus, not when they lead, but when they love and serve. It's a, it's a, uh, a call out to all of the leaders in our church. I call out to my brother elders. We are, are it's easier to follow us when we're serving. It's easier to lead others when they see us as servants. That's for all of us leaders and my brother elders too. Will you say this year, I only want to serve? When from this pulpit or from your media, an announcement is made that we need help with something, will you say, I will serve? I'll be, there'll be no questions. I'm just going to serve. No replies of, well, I'm not really equipped for that. Just, just serve. Number four, disciples are full of 
praise. Luke 1, 46. Listen to this. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Well, of course, disciples are full of praise. They have a Savior. Because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of a servant, surely from now on all generations will call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me and his name is holy. Well, of course, disciples praise Their Savior has paid attention to them in their low situation. What did Jesus say? Blessed are the spiritually poor. What do they get? Oh, just the kingdom of heaven. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him, Mary says. He's done a mighty deed with his arms. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. Well, of course, disciples praise God because he has acted justly and he will act justly toward our enemies. And and there is no enemy too high and mighty that God will not judge. So we praise. Verse 53 has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Disciples praise God because he has satisfied every longing of our hearts. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. God has declared promises long ago, and he's kept his promises, and he will keep his promises. And so, disciples, praise God. What about you? Are you full of praise every day? Or just on Sundays? My mother, my dear mother, 93 years old, widow, living alone on Social Security, cannot stop praising the Lord. It's just a broken record. She says the same thing with almost the exact same words every single time. She just sits there and praises the Lord for the goodness of the Lord on her life and on her family. And she just over and over again. It's just the same thing every time. She cannot stop. She's had nine decades of God's grace, and so she can't stop praising God. That's what disciples of Jesus do. Why does praise always have to be orchestrated by pastors or worship leaders or community group leaders? Like you don't know what to do unless somebody leaves you. All right, now let's all say something good about the Lord or let's all sing a song. Why aren't you just singing songs all the time? Why, do you, why, why must you be led to praise? It's what disciples do. You should find more times and ways to pray God in 2022 because that's what disciples do. Number five, disciples tell people to do what Jesus says. I'm in John's gospel now. Flip over to the right, John chapter two. It's an important story, just the beginning though. John chapter two, look at verse two. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. You know the story, you love it. Jesus' mother was there and Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told him they don't have any wine. Jesus says, what has this concern of yours to do with me, woman? My hour has not yet come. And Mary says, do whatever he tells you. Now, I want you to remember that. Do whatever he tells you. I don't know everything Jesus will tell you to do, but you must do it. Disciples of Jesus do what he says. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's, okay, so in this new year, you're going to talk to a lot of people. If you're a disciple of Jesus, 
You're going to talk to a lot of people and you're going to not know what to say. I get there. I, I, I get it. I've been there. I'm there every single day. When I'm talking to you, I act like I know what I'm talking about. I don't know what I'm talking about, but I know one thing I can always say, and you could always say the same thing, do whatever Jesus tells you to do. What's Christian parenting? What is Christian parenting? It's not the production of moral people or good citizens or hard workers or faithful church members. Christian parenting is, child, I am doing whatever Jesus tells me to do. You must also do whatever Jesus tells you. Somebody drop a mic. <laughs> what about you? Are you a good parent? You may answer with, well, you, you don't understand my kids. I'm not asking about your kids. I'm asking about you. Do you visibly, publicly, privately do what Jesus says? And do you continually tell your children to do what Jesus says? That's what disciples do. This is the essence of disciple making. Tell people to do what Jesus says to do. Number six, disciples follow Jesus to the cross. I'm still in John's gospel. I'm toward the end. I'm in chapter 19. John 19, verse 26 And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved standing there, he said to his mother, woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. You're going to have to simply picture this. I'm a nobody. I've always been a nobody. And God came to me in his grace and said, I want you to do this. And I said, I'm your servant. I I didn't think it was going to be this. Jesus hanging naked on a cross. Nails piercing him. Huge blood loss. The next thing after this is he says, I am thirsty, no doubt. And then the next thing he says is it is finished and he dies. But what he says here to the disciple John and to his mothers means that they must be incredibly near the cross. They must be at the foot of the cross. Imagine this as a mother. You're maybe, you're maybe 15 years older than your son. He's around 33 years old, Jesus is. He's helped so many. He's been hurt by so many That's so hard, isn't it, to be a parent, to be a mother, to watch your children hurt by other people. His friends seem to be all gone, except John and some faithful women. The religious leaders, this is for Mary, the religious leaders you have always respected and listened to have instigated this. Can you imagine every single religious leader in your life that you've respected your entire life has gone against you and your son. Abusive, disrespectful Roman soldiers, they even look bored now. He's dying. He can barely breathe. And Mary is there. 
Later, she's going to come to understand exactly what she's seeing, but she's there. Mary's life begins with the grace of God bearing Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. Now she continues to need God's grace to come to the cross and witness this. It's always a need for grace in the Christian's life and the disciple's life, and it goes all the way to the cross. Every single human being has got to face the cross of Jesus and make a decision. You've got to do this. You cannot avoid this. You can avoid the dentist. You can avoid the doctor. You can avoid almost anything. You cannot avoid a decision about the cross of Christ. Will you take the Jesus that dies in humiliation because of your sin, or are you going to try to save yourself some other way? Disciples follow Jesus to the cross. This is, here's where we see perfect obedience. Here's where we see the only hope of our salvation. At the cross, disciples of Jesus see God's holiness and God's justice, but, but disciples also see God's grace. Here's the act that brings undeserved forgiveness. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. The irony of the cross is that true life, eternal life, actually comes at death on this cross. Now listen, as the year comes to an end, Redeemer, I'm talking to my church members. Thank you for being here, visitors. If this church ceases to stay cross-centered and and to die to the world, then it will die as a church. All of us have got to stay cross-centered every day. Be intentional about that. What about the new year? Can you practice dying to yourself every day? You must. Spiritual life and joy come in staying as close to the cross of Jesus Every day, that's at the cross. That's where you find disciples. Number seven, disciples assemble for mission. Just stay where you are. Just one verse in Acts chapter one. One fourteen. The scene is Jerusalem after the commission and ascension of Jesus. The, the closest disciples are all together in one room. And Acts one fourteen says they were all continually united in prayer along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. That's the last we hear of Mary, but she's a true disciple. She's faithful to the end. She used to have her son inside of her. Now through the Holy Spirit, she will have her son in her again. She is in Christ and Christ is in her. This is true of all believers. This is true of all believers of all nations. Disciples, you know what they do? Disciples gather together. They gather together as much as they can, and they pray, and they talk about Jesus, and then they go with the message of Jesus. So what should we do? Well, we should commit to never missing a Sunday service. There's 52 of them in 2022, unless I'm mixed up on calendars. Be here for 52 of them. Try. We should commit to never missing a community group or a women's gathering or a men's gathering, a youth gathering. 
thank the Lord that soccer, volleyball, basketball, and baseball are not on every Sunday because if they were, this, this body would be cut in half. Unfortunately, Disney World and the beach are still open on Sundays. Oh, well, it's God's grace that we can meet at all and we should do it as often as possible. What about prayer? It's God's grace that we can pray and be heard and, and answered. What are we going to do in prayer in 2022? I actually don't know the answer to that question. I want us to pray more. We endlessly pray about someone's sickness, but rarely pray for God to gain glory or for God to show his power or for, for him to use us to make an impact. We've got to change our praying. We've got to pray more. As my niece famously said, we will pray when we need to. What about the mission? Now, I think now is the time to begin to form lists of people we want to share the gospel with in the new year. Now is the time to pray that God would keep Redeemer on mission. Seven things disciples do from the life of Mary. It has a beginning in God's grace. God's grace goes all the way to the end. It starts with faith, and faith must grow all the way to the end. I just gave you seven things. Now, after the service, if you can think of a couple that you cannot do, I want you to come and talk to me about why you can't do all seven of these as a disciple of Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the wonderful year that was ours. Another difficult one ordained by you. I don't understand it fully, but I know that you're perfect. I thank you for the good things I have seen in multiple lives, acts of your grace, demonstrations of faith in you. I thank you for those. They are real. You get all of the credit. I pray that there will be more of that in the new year. I pray for my church, Redeemer Church, to understand grace more, to grow in faith, to act like servants, to praise your name, to stay at the cross, and to be on mission. I pray that. And Lord, I pray for a few who may have wandered in this wonderful, warm morning who don't know you as Savior. They know about you but don't know you. I pray that this will be the day of salvation for them. That they will simply in faith come to you and accept the gift of salvation and forgiveness without any effort or merit just to accept it humbly. I pray that for them. And bless our communion service as it begins now too. I pray this in the name of Jesus our Savior who has died for us on the cross, who has risen again and is coming soon. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Community Church in Fuquay, Verena, North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more sermons, we invite you to visit us online at RedeemerNC.org.